Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 262 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Today, I am here in Sri Lanka with my guest in Tbilisi, Georgia, Mike Swig. Welcome to the show. Hey, Johnny. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm uh, excited to chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So your last name, is it actually Swigunski or how do you say it? So it's Swigunski. So Swig, Gun, and then Ski. Okay. And is that Polish or where does that come from? It's a Polish surname, but I'm originally from the States. Okay. Yeah, originally Polish, but uh, born and raised in Wildwood, Missouri. Wow. All right. Well, Jenkuyu for coming on the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me, man. Where where are you originally from? Uh, So my parents are from Taiwan, but I was born in the U.S. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Can you speak Polish at all or have you been there at all? I've been to Poland. Uh, I've been to Krakow. I, I used to be based out of Prague for about two years. So got to explore a lot of the, the nearby countries. So I really loved Poland. I don't speak any Polish. I, uh, I do really enjoy pierogies. But other than that, I was kind of just raised as American. There's a few generations away from when my grandparents uh, immigrated. Yeah, I, I can imagine that with, with a lot of Americans. But it is cool, though, to still have that heritage that you can kind of look back on. Uh, I think mine's been kind of kind of lost a bit. Yeah, I think every American kind of has a, a bit bits and traces of that. Some are a little bit closer than others. But it, it's always really cool to kind of get to go to visit your where your grandparents are from. Um, so I've been to all kind of the, the countries that my my ancestors were originally from. So it's, it's cool to visit that. And you, you definitely feel like you're you're there with your people, I think. Yeah. And a big benefit also is to be able to get a second passport through heritage or ancestry. Have you ever looked into that? Oh, man, I've done a really big deep dive into it. Uh, the easiest probably option for me would be to get an Irish passport. But again, I, I just don't have any of the proper paperwork to make it work uh, for every sort of ancestry route that I've looked into. It, it's, it's too difficult and or I just have too many like breaks in the in the ancestry chain. What about yourself? Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, so mine are, are completely screwed. So my parents, my mom was born in Taiwan. My dad basically fled the war in mainland China when he was like two. So technically, uh, I could get a Taiwanese passport, but my, my parents both renounced their citizenship and they stopped renewing. Uh, so they oh. don't even have a passport. So I don't know there's any way for me to get it unless they went the route of becoming citizens again and then you know bringing me on board and they wouldn't do that and plus the Taiwanese passport isn't very recognized because uh, Taiwan itself isn't recognized as a country you know uh, throughout the world so it would be kind of useless right yeah unless you wanted to kind of be based there probably it wouldn't be that worthwhile yeah and actually in our last episode we talked about the Taiwan gold card which is their kind of residency program and that would be way easier to get than an actual um, you know a birth birth residency there right I think a lot of countries are going to be implementing new kind of visa and residency uh, things like that to attract more people. So I'm excited to see, I I just published an article not too long ago about the the digital nomad and remote work visas for, for entrepreneur.com. And uh, it's kind of got me digging down this rabbit hole of what's coming next. And I think how, how the travel is going to be reshaped in, in 2021 and beyond. Oh, very cool. So how did you get that, that writing job of publishing on entrepreneur.com? So it, it kind of has like a, a steady progression where I published a best-selling book and I kind of packaged my story to really pitch a lot of press people, hired a press uh, person to work for me and just had him reaching out to editors. 
and eventually an uh, editor at Forbes really resonated with kind of my story and what I've been working on, uh, the book that I had published. So they, they did a feature on me. And then with that feature, we were able to kind of leverage it to get to pitch entrepreneur.com uh, editors. And they, they resonated really well with kind of the, the feature in, in my book that they decided to just give me a contributor spot. So oh, it, cool. it was kind of one thing led to another where it's just uh, the book has opened up a lot of doors for me. And I, I'm sure with your book as well, you've, you've kind of seen that in your podcast and just your, having your own platforms have really put you in the right room with the right, the right people. And uh, it's kind of like made business a little bit not easier, but just made it easier to get with the right people, uh, get them on the phone and, and get them in contact. Yeah, definitely. Especially with, with the podcast, it gives me an excuse to you know, call up um, you know, a big name person that normally I wouldn't have access to and be able to actually chat with them for an hour, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I think you know, they're happy to do it because they have a big audience or I have a big audience that they can reach. And when they come on my show, whether it's Invest Like a Boss or this one, they know that we only bring on kind of trustworthy guests that we've vetted. So they know they can trust whatever that person, you know, has to say more or less. Right. Yeah. I think the, the podcast stuff route is a, a really great for, for a lot of industries, no matter what you're really looking to do. It, it just, I, I've been making a lot of YouTube videos and I've noticed my sales calls for people who've listened to those videos. They're, they're not a, they're not like fanboy yet, but they're just so much easier to talk to. They're kind of familiar with your personality. And just being able to sell them services becomes so much easier. So I think if you have a podcast or if you have some sort of personal brand that you're building, uh, either on YouTube or, or any other type of platform where you can really connect with the people, it, it does make the sales process a lot easier. Have you noticed that with some of your products as well? Yeah, a million percent. Like, and one of the reasons why uh, so many people want to speak at the Nomad Summit is really just to get that professionally produced video where you know, and the good SEO where, you know, somebody that's interested in the name, they, they see, oh, wow, this person has spoken the Nomad Summit, the quality is really high. And, you know, within a 20 minute video, they can get a glimpse of your professionalism, your, you know, speaking, uh, I guess, presence, and kind of just a, a, almost a TED-like uh, snapshot of, of what you like. So whenever, you know, people contact me out of the blue and say they want to come on the show, or they want to work with me or do something, I'll just Google their name and, if there's a YouTube video, that's the first thing I'll look at. You know, articles are, you know, they're good, uh, but they're kind of hard to tell their personality. Uh, so unless they had a really good article on entrepreneur.com or on Forbes, or aside from that, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. Podcasts are great if you take the time to listen to them. <laughs> but, you know, if you're just quickly vetting someone, uh, it's kind of hard to sit down and listen to like an hour podcast or even a 20 minute podcast. But a video I would say that's the most powerful way. Like if, if someone can, can read, if you're, you know, an honest person, if you know what you're talking about, you know, if you're professional very quickly by just watching a video. Right. And that, that element's quickly being lost. Right. And in our kind of face to face meetings, like I was really excited about meeting up with you for the first time and meeting, connecting with a lot of other nomads at the nomad summit this year. Uh, so I think that in-person element can kind of be replicated with video. And if you scroll on, you know, any social media platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, everything's really shifting from photos to video. And uh, I think that trend's going to continue in the future, especially now with everyone being in remote work. And I think remote companies are, you know, we've seen it with Zoom. They've more than 10x their user base over the past year. Or so 
uh, there's definitely a, a big shift towards that, that direction and, and for good reason. Yeah. So I remember when you applied to speak to the Nomad Summit this year, I watched a video of yours where you spoke, I think it was to the, I don't know, maybe it was Empire Flippers crew about credit card hacking or rewards. Right. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, definitely. So I was one of the first employees at Empire Flippers and we've actually been communicating probably for since 2016 via email since we were sponsoring Nomad Summit. I think pretty much every year, I think even before I joined in 2016. Uh, so that's what I've used as one of my, my speaking reels is giving a speech on credit card hacking at like a 10,000 square foot villa in Thailand. Yeah. And that was super cool. Uh, I mean, first it was kind of like watching that video and it made me feel like I, I had met you in person. I knew you, even though we hadn't had the chance to actually meet uh, yet or talk yet. And then I, you know, I can also tell like, Oh, this is a pretty knowledgeable guy. He seems, you know, like a, like a cool guy. I'd, I'd actually want to hang out with or have a chat chat with. And you know, the fact that you were giving that information and from a very genuine place where you, it really seemed like you're, you know, you just wanted to give good information and help people made me think, okay, this guy would be a great speaker at Nomad Summit and also just to have on the podcast or to work with. Yeah. I think the, the influence of Empire Flippers kind of marketing strategy, you know, what we've implemented over the past, you know, what they implemented over the past four or five years with marketing has been kind of a value first approach where it's about 90% just adding value, really attracting people with a magnet kind of inbound marketing. I've learned a lot from when I was with Empire Flippers, uh, kind of, it, it really does resonate well with people if you're adding value first and you have to pitch your products, you have to pitch your services because if nobody knows about them, they're, they're not gonna buy, but you really have to find the right balance. And I think everyone kind of has to find out that right balance with their personal brand and with their, with their own business, right? Yeah, 100%. So I just took a look at your, your book. It's called Global Career, How to Work Anywhere and Travel Forever, Become a Digital Nomad Today with Remote Work. Uh, how did all that kind of come about? Yeah, so it, it came about, I've been kind of living a digital nomad lifestyle for more than a decade now. Uh, I was heavily involved with study abroad at the University of Missouri. I was a student manager. So I was people from the university teaching a course to the university and taking them over to the Czech Republic for a summer program. And that's what kind of started me on this journey. And to make a long story short, I was traveling and I was talking to a lot of Americans who were a part of the dynamite circle, a part of like our entrepreneur crowd. And they had never heard of the, the working holiday visas. And I, I probably asked around 20 different Americans and I was like, you guys have never heard of this. Like uh, it's, it, it just was kind of blew, blew me away that a lot of Americans weren't familiar with, we can go to Australia for a year and work there uh, as do any job that an Australian can do. And same, we can go to New Zealand for free and work there for a year. And it got me thinking that there's a lot of Americans that don't know how many opportunities they're missing out to live abroad and continue building their career, not having to put things on pause. So I just kind of detail my own progression throughout the book, but also telling people how they can work remotely, work physically in other countries and essentially progress into a digital nomad or building a side hustle as well to, to go into full-time entrepreneurship. So what actually was your, was your story? Like you said you grew up in, was it a kind of small town or? Yeah. So it's a suburb of St. Louis, the St. Louis metropolitan area. It's called Wildwood, Missouri, and kind of had the, the normal trajectory of going high school straight to, to university. I studied abroad in Italy and that's kind of where I really got the travel bug. And then the next year after I studied abroad, I applied for this student manager position, which was essentially a two-year internship uh, provided by the university, where we were actually teaching a course. So like 
I had friends in my class and they were getting an actual credit uh, for, for the, the study abroad program. And yeah, then we would take the students over, over to Europe. So that's kind of when I really wanted to go all in. Uh, I was my senior year and I was interviewing for kind of had a, a, you know, a fork in the road. Should I go down the traditional route of getting, you know, I had some job offers from Pepsi to do like management development programs. But I also had this other path that was like, I can, I'm getting paid to go to Europe to lead these students for my, my last summer. I just decided to book a one-way flight and try to find work over there. And luckily I had made some good connections at the university. And, you know, after I finished the study abroad program, I talked to them. I was like, Hey, I really want to stay over here and work. And they, they helped me get a job teaching financial economics because my undergrad was finance. I had, you know, more than two years teaching experience. It just seemed like a good fit. So uh, my first job out of college was as a a financial economics professor teaching, you know, to people that were around my same age, some of them even older than me. That's cool. So actually the study abroad programs is something that I wish I knew about when I was younger. I, it just never really occurred to me. I mean, maybe I'd kind of seen it in a movie or something, but I just never thought it was really possible for me and also financially feasible. Like how did all that all work for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that's, that's been interesting. Uh, for me, I, I was able to kind of sell it to my parents. I was like, Hey, I'm going to get the, the actual credit hours you know, that's going to cost the exact same amount. Uh, the rent cost over in Italy was going to be pretty much the same cost. It would have cost me to stay in for an extra or first semester of, you know, living in at the university of Missouri food costs were a little bit higher, but, uh, the main thing was the flight. And I was like, okay, I can, I can try to use points or try to get over there for as cheap as possible. And after I kind of broke down the finances with them, they're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And they were really like supportive with helping me study abroad. Uh, cause my dad was really in the travel and, and just wanted me to go experience that. Uh, so that was kind of the, the main thing, but there are a lot of scholarship opportunities. I've actually started my own scholarship for the university of Missouri to really help people, um, just kind of reduce their costs for, for studying abroad, because I think it can have a, a life changing impact. And the cool thing about this scholarship is it goes directly to the student. The university doesn't take a cut or anything. So, uh, it's, it's helped a lot of people kind of not have an extra burden of, of those expenses. That's cool. How does someone apply for that if they, if they know someone who, who's kind of in that situation? Yeah, so you have, it's only eligible to University of Missouri students. I'm actually, because this year is on pause because they've canceled all the study abroad programs due to COVID, but next year I'm considering either uh, transferring it to, to a more universal scholarship, so that way anybody can apply for it, but I, I'm still working that out. I, I need to figure it out by next summer, but if you reach out to me at globalcareerbook.com, I can get the most up-to-date information if you're, if somebody in the listening in is wanting to get a scholarship. Yeah, that's cool. So it, it sounds like whatever university you go to, just go to, you know, guidance counselor or someone and ask what programs are potentially available. And I would even say, probably ask, you know, your freshman year before you're even ready to go. And that way you can start you know, working towards the requirements. You know, I, I think something, a question that seems so common sense that other people you know, especially when they're young, never ask, including myself was, you know, like, you know, not just like, what are the minimum requirements, but who was the last person to get the scholarship? And, you know, what did they do differently? Like, how, like, how did, like, how did they get chosen? And maybe just work your way backwards there. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a really good approach. And even if you can reach out to the previous student and kind of ask them for advice, I think that's a great way to do it. 
uh, for the individual scholarship I have, it's selected based off of grade point average and essay, and then I think a few other criteria, but it's, it's done by a board uh, for the university. So it's, it's definitely a good approach. And I think you're, you're definitely right. Freshman year, if you're interested in study abroad, try researching your options, make sure that you're going to actually get some credit. Uh, and if you, if your university doesn't have an option, there are third party alternatives where they can transfer credits over uh, from, you know, a third party university. So you, sometimes you do have to get creative. I was lucky to be at the University of Missouri. Our business school had a lot of good study abroad options, but it's really going to vary on your, what, what you're studying and where you're studying at. So the actual study abroad program, was it in English or did you have to try to figure, figure out how to speak Italian? <laughs> yeah, so it was all in English. It was 100% in English. Uh, they did, you know, during the pre-departure course, we did learn some of the basic Italian phrases and stuff and try to pick up as much as, as possible. But all the Italians, they'd been studying English and they were, you know, they're a little bit, a little bit younger and wanted to learn English as well. So a lot of them were, you know, very excited to practice their English with Americans when we got there. So all the courses, all the classes were mixed 50-50, half, uh, half Americans, half Italians. And that sounds so fun. I, I really wish I would have done that. But, you know, I guess I created my own study abroad program by, by moving to Thailand and learning online marketing from uh, online courses. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, I think it's, it's a very good path, uh, no matter what gets you abroad. I think you just got to find whatever's going to work best and make sense for you and uh, just make it happen. Yeah. So speaking of visas, the, one of the main reasons why I selected Tbilisi, Georgia as what well, was supposed to be this year's Nomad Summit, hopefully we're going to be able to schedule to reschedule for summer uh, 2021. But Tbilisi and Georgia itself is... I really believe it's it has kind of like the the formula for the perfect nomad destination. Super low cost of living, tons of available accommodation, super easy to get around. You know, great infrastructure. You know, Wi-Fi speeds, uh, mobile data, great food, lots of culture, things to do on the weekends. But really, what it was was the one year visa on arrival, where everyone from you know two hundred plus countries, including Americans, we, we get one year just showing up and every time we leave and we come back we get another year it, it's crazy yeah that's exactly what drew my myself and my girlfriend she's from colombia uh, we've been based in medellin for the past two and a half years and just kind of got tired of doing the whole visa rat race of you know doing border runs and i literally had a spreadsheet that was counting my days in colombia counting my days in america because i was taking advantage of the foreigner income exclusion uh, tax incentive so it just became so complicated. We both had heard great things about Tbilisi and Georgia. So we decided to come check it out for a few months, but we, we ended up essentially getting trapped here uh, due to COVID, but we loved it so much that we're, we just kind of went all in and we're like, let's make this our, our new hub, you know, got a, a one year lease. So have made this kind of our, our new home and, and we really love it here so far. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. So how long were you originally planning on staying for? So the plan was to come here for two months and then, go to Asia. I was supposed to have a knee surgery in Thailand. And then we'd come back after that. Uh, but we, we stayed here for two months and all of our flights started getting canceled. So just decided to, to not worry about it and just kind of stay here uh, indefinitely until things kind of get back to normal. Yeah, smart move. What was the actual lockdowns like in Tbilisi? So it hasn't been too bad. We just started a new lockdown uh, essentially for like two months. Everything was closed besides uh, delivery options, pharmacies, banks, and grocery stores. And that just started again uh, here recently, like a week ago. 
it hasn't been too bad. You can still go out between, I think, 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. Are, are the hours. So after that, there's a curfew. But we haven't had it too bad where you couldn't go outside. I know in Colombia, depending on what number your, your ID number ends in, allows you to go outside on a certain day of the week. So if your number ends in five, you can go out on like Mondays and Thursdays for like two hours. So oh, it's, yeah. it hasn't been that restrictive. But uh, they did a lot of things very well at the beginning. And they kind of maintained things. And then they just started opening up the borders to, to France and Germany without making people quarantine. And so now we're having like 5,000 cases a day. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I, I didn't even know that they had opened the borders because uh, I remember they had a program that was kind of uh, targeted at digital nomads where you can come and, and live and work there. But when I saw it, I was like, why would anyone go through this when we can just show up and on a tourist visa for a year anyways. Yeah, so the, the main thing that I, I'm wondering about that, I've had a lot of friends uh, have to do that. It seems like that's the only option now. If you want to come to Tbilisi, you have to apply for this digital nomad visa, the work remotely visa from Georgia. And you have to prove that you, you're earning at least $2,000. You have to prove you have insurance. I think it's just kind of the intermittent like nomad visa now. Uh, it's replacing that one-year tourist visa. So I don't think you can just show up and get that one-year visa. You have to apply for this remotely from Georgia, unless you're from certain uh, countries. I think it's only France and Germany, Lithuania, a few other countries. Okay. I guess that makes sense. And I, I think if I wasn't here in Sri Lanka, I feel very fortunate to be here. Uh, then Georgia actually would be on top of my list of thinking, okay, where else would I want to be locked down? And for me, my kind of criteria, it seems almost kind of silly, but I was thinking if we have to just stay home, I'd, I'd rather be somewhere like Georgia where you get huge spacious apartments or, for really cheap. You know, you have, you know, great internet, so you can just you know, sit back, just watch YouTube or Netflix all day. You can get delivery, anything, and just fantastic food, yeah. global Very and all these easy. places. Have they all been working still? Yeah, they've been working great. I, I got... I've even expanded off that. Like I had a handyman come over today that I booked through a kind of like a global alternative similar to TaskRabbit. So it's, it's really expansive, like Global Walt and then a few other apps where you can get pretty much anything you want delivered here uh, for a very cheap price. Yeah, I think that was, that was one of the, my favorite things about living in Tbilisi was the delivery service. I remember, you know, uh, coming home from a bar one night and just, you know being famished and thinking, oh man, you know how many food you know how many food in the kitchen? What can I order? And I ordered this huge box of twenty kinkalis. These are those big oh, kind of dumplings for anyone who who hasn't been to Georgia. And it, it came and I just devoured all of them while sitting on the couch in front of the TV. Thinking, and you know I think I had a a big loaf of uh, that local Georgian bread. What what is that called again? Like the shoddies? Uh, I think it's just called puri, like P-U-R-I is bread. Yeah, yeah. they're like freshly baked, and they're, you know, I don't, know, I don't remember now, like four lev or something, like for sure. Listen, they're like a, oh, yeah. a dollar or something, or less. <laughs> I think they're like fifty cents. Yeah, and the Georgian wine is fantastic. It's it really is one of the best places in the world. My only thing that that I wasn't sure about was the winter, and since you're going through that now, it being December, how how actually is it? It's honestly not that bad. I think the lockdown kind of adds a little bit of element that it makes it a, a tad worse. But right now it, it will have like three days of sunshine and then it'll be like three days of just like really cloudy. But the good thing is uh, at least there's, if you do come in normal times, you can escape the city life to go out to the mountain mean. And there's a lot of winter sports here. 
So normally I think it wouldn't be that bad, but now that all the resorts are closed, uh, a lot of hotels are closed. Uh, there's just not as much to do here, to be honest. You kind of have to make your, your own excitement <laughs> between the hours of six and nine. So are you able, are you allowed to travel like to the mountains if you can find a combination? Yeah. So we, we actually are uh, going on a trip later this month. We booked a, a penthouse with a few other people and we're just going to go there. Even though the ski resorts are closed, we're just going to like, I think the, a few snowmobile companies are open. So uh, you can still make stuff happen. You just got to get creative. Okay. That makes sense. And as far as accommodation, like, t tell us about your place that you're renting. Yeah. So we're paying $600 a month uh, for 220 meters squared. Uh, so for us listeners, it's around 2000, uh, 2,300 feet. It's huge. Uh, it has a big, yeah, it's, it's very huge. And that's not even considering we have a Italian courtyard. That's just us and our neighbors. We have like, they have a dog running around out there. So it's really nice. It has a nice balcony, uh, two floors, two bedrooms, two baths for $600 a month. It's a, it's a steal. So you're essentially getting like Southeast Asian pricing with like European, I don't know, rooms like European style of, of living, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's much bigger than anywhere else you would find in, in Southeast Asia for, for the similar cost. And how did you find it? Uh, so we initially came here and we booked a Airbnb for the first few months. And then we started looking at Facebook groups and connected with a local realtor. And that's usually how we've, we've kind of done things uh, through the past. If we're going to stay somewhere long-term, we'll book an Airbnb, get, a, get an idea of what area we want to live in, and then contact the local uh, realtors who are going to be giving us a lot of listings that we would never really have access to. Uh, and, and luckily at, at kind of Georgian prices. Yeah, very smart move. And do you think that that $600 a month is more just kind of COVID pricing? Or do you think you can get that, you know, relatively the same normally? I think there's definitely COVID pricing going on right now. I think this is just, they probably were, were charging $750 before, uh, before COVID. But either way, it's still a good deal. Uh, I think even outside of COVID, though, there's still some really good good price. I guess you were here before then, so you'd probably have a better idea of, of what the pricing was like. Yeah, I, I remember, I mean, things were fantastic. I remember booking um, an apartment for, for a month, and it was like 450 bucks or something. And I remember not looking at the photos very well. I kind of just, you know, saw that they had some reviews. It was the area I wanted. I saw they had a couch and a TV. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And I showed up. And the place was huge and ended up being three bedrooms and, you know, two and a half baths and had, you know, four balconies. It was way, way bigger than anything I had ever stayed in. And it was 450 or maybe it was 500 bucks a month, even off, off of Airbnb during the normal high season. Wow. Yeah. That's honestly, when we first started getting excited about coming to Tbilisi, we just, one of the things we got so excited about was we were just looking up Airbnbs in Tbilisi and in uh, in Batumi. And we're like, this is unbelievable. It'd be like semi-modern. Like our place is, is fairly modernized. Uh, some of the places are going to be a little bit older, but they've kind of got everything from super brand new modern to like uh, a little bit more older and eloquent uh, and everything in between. So there's, there's really something for everyone, no matter what you're looking for here. Yeah, definitely. And what neighborhood did you end up choosing? Uh, so we're in Vera. That's been, we, we lived in uh, Avlabari when we first came here. Uh, we were looking at places in Bake and Sabertalo, but Vera was kind of the, the place that we, that kind of jived with us the most. So what about yourself? Where did you stay at? So I, I think the first time uh, I was also in Vera, which is for her to kind of give everyone an idea, it's kind of halfway between the old town, which is kind of where all the tourists go, 
and between Vake. It, 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 do I have that correct? Between like it's between Old Town and Vake. Yes, exactly. So okay. it's pretty much if you just imagine a line. There's Old Town, Vera's in the middle, and then Vake's on the, okay. the outer side, and then Sabertalo's outside of that. So I remember, you know, doing a, a bunch of research before I went, and pretty much everyone had said online, like, oh yeah, you definitely want to live in. Uh, in Vake because that's where kind of the, the trendy shops are, the you know the cool places are, and then a bunch of people they recommended Sabatale, which I can't even pronounce. And once I got there, I realized okay, the only reason why people live all the way in Sabatale is because it's cheaper. And then in Vake, it's nice and it's it is kind of the only walkable place. But there's actually not that many places to walk to. Like you will kind of end up taking a a, a taxi anyways uh, wherever you go. And what I liked about Vera is it was kind of halfway between everything. Uh, and it kind of felt more like a place where, where locals actually live. So there's like lots of little local shops. And I don't know, I, I think I just preferred it as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Like the neighborhood or the street we live on feels very local. Uh, but within like a five, 10 minute walk, you're to like anything you need. There's a lot of stores, grocery stores, and, and just good restaurants. Uh, it's It's near like you know, Stamba and Lolita, some of the top places to hang out, get good food, good coffee. And I don't know if you, if you had a chance to go to Stamba or Lolita or any of those places, but yep. <laughs> there are these huge kind of Soviet style buildings that are just like, I don't know, hundred foot ceilings, really open spaces. Uh, Stamba has some of their like homegrown stuff. So it's all really organic and uh, it's just really good. R- great place for coffee as well. Yeah, really beautiful. I, I think it's it's probably like a four four or five star hotel, but prices are actually you know relatively reasonable for for food. Uh, I think I went there for brunch one day and it was fantastic. And also Lolita's, I would go there for you know like uh, a half a roast chicken or something. And it was just a nice place to be, like really good food, like Tbilisi or Georgia in general, just fantastic food. Oh yeah, I've definitely put on a, a few kilos uh, over the past past few months living here. It's it's definitely there's so many good food options and. You find it hard to spend more than like ten to fifteen dollars per person at like the nicest place at like the five star restaurant. So yeah, with uh, a glass of got wine, every kind of range. Yeah, exactly. With some delicious wine as well, or or some cha cha, the the local uh, spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I never enjoyed the uh, the, the cha cha, but I've had a lot of it. I, I I we've been asking our Georgian friends if they actually like it, and, and sometimes they like not really, but sometimes they just got to admit that they like it. I think. They're more, they more enjoy wine as well. So cha-cha is just kind of like that, the national drink. I think a lot of older generation really enjoy it, but the younger crowd uh, don't love it. Yeah. So we've, we've actually talked a lot about the food and kind of life in Georgia in previous episodes. If you guys want to check that out, it's episode 228 uh, with food, uh, food blogger, foodie flashpacker. Then I had on Brent and Michael, who's a, a married gay couple who our nomads who lived uh, in Tbilisi. That was episode 232. And I think we talked about them again in uh, Georgia again in 242. So check those out. Check those out if you want. Um, but it sounds like you're pretty happy there. Yeah, I, I love it here. I, I'm thankful every day that we kind of got stuck here and we're just making the best out of it. We, we, we have a really good life here. We've built something really special and I, I hope a lot of people listening to this get a chance to come experience Georgia. I think it is a hidden gem. I would say it's it's kind of like has the mountain, the landscape style of Switzerland uh, in a lot of regions, but for one-tenth the cost of that, maybe even cheaper than that. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. I would say the actual city center isn't that beautiful. Like the, the old town has its charm, you know, has its, its you know really nice places. But for most of the city or even the country, when you're driving around, it does have those Soviet kind of elements and, and gray buildings still. Definitely, it has like some areas that are really beautiful, and it actually has a lot of really nice parks. And that's something that when I was based in Medellin, they have parks, but they're not anything like these kind of European parks where you could go and have a picnic. Uh, they have that in almost every neighborhood. And I, I think that's one of the great things about Tbilisi is, you know, you can go walk out to the park, have a picnic, have a few beers, uh, and just kind of relax. And pretty much no matter where you're staying, there'll be a nice park nearby. But they definitely have some of these old Soviet buildings. And that, that was our first Airbnb we stayed in. Uh, didn't have any pictures of the outside. The inside was like completely modernized, really nice. But then we get into the building and it's like, where are we? We've got, <laughs> we've got to be at the wrong building. Uh, so they definitely have some of those Soviet style buildings, but the, a lot of times the insides are a lot nicer than the out. Yeah, definitely. What month did you actually arrive in Tbilisi? So we arrived here in February and we just finished up a really big trip. We were in uh, we were in the States for a few weeks doing a road trip out to the Grand Canyon in Las Vegas. And then we got a really good mistake flare out, a mistake fare flight from LA out to the Maldives. So mm, we nice. spent a week in the Maldives, did some travel hacking to get a, a really cheap stay uh, at the Conrad. And then we, we actually went to Sri Lanka after that. And oh, cool. Got a chance to visit and travel around Sri Lanka uh, for, I think we were there for about eight days. And uh, then we went to India. Okay. So very quick trip. When were you here in Shaka? So it would have been uh, January. Okay. Just before I arrived. Right. Oh yeah. We, we must've just missed each other. Yeah. So I, I arrived on, I think February 6th or something, but yeah, that's cool. What did you think of Sri Lanka? We loved it. Uh, it was definitely like going from the Maldives to Sri Lanka. It was, it was a lot different obviously, but it was really chilled out. It was a lot more relaxed than I expected. I kind of expected it to be a little bit more how I expected India to be, but mm -hmm. they, they couldn't be more different. I, I think, I don't know how to compare Sri Lanka to anywhere else. I would almost compare it maybe to Chiang Mai in a way. I don't, I don't know. How are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say Sri Lanka is almost exactly the way Thailand was 20 years ago or like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's a really good comparison. Uh, we, we really enjoyed it. Like we, we stayed, we flew into uh, Colombo and then went out to, man, I'm going to butcher this name, but I think it's called Siriga, the like big, huge rock. Mm -hmm. Siguria. Rock area. And then we, we kind of posted up in Candy and just, we, we were trying to make the train to Ella, but unfortunately we, all the seats were just booked up. So we weren't able to make it on there, but yeah, we, what's we really enjoyed it. Candy is a beautiful area. Yeah. Well, it's really crazy is, you know, I got stuck here, you know, this year and, you know, we've been traveling around the country. Everything is completely empty. I remember taking that same train ride from, you know, from Ella to Candy or, or that, that same route. And I asked the attendant if I can reserve a seat. And he was like, he's like, don't bother. And he's like, there's, there's nobody on the train. And <laughs> I remember, you know, for like the first four hours of being on the train or something, like we saw, we saw one other person. Wow. That's got to be like, it's literally like zombie apocalypse like style thing. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's a weird time to be alive and to be traveling. Um, I, I would say, you know, it's, I've seen more of this country than I ever would have normally. And I built a kind of a travel YouTube career from it, from just making videos in all these amazing places. Like when, when we were in, um, I think, well, on Sagiri, we went on a weekend, so there's a lot of locals there, but we went to some of the other big sites like Palovna, which is the second um, kind of the ancient city. There's nobody there. And just, 
it's just a a nice feeling being you know summer that quiet but locals are obviously still living here so it's 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 still lively you know it's not a not a zombie land yet right and what's the city name you're in now so i'm in ahagama which is in the south and it's kind of right next to all the the surf spots okay so it's it's kind of a beach town yeah it's halfway between gaul gaul fort if you heard of that and then the kind of the other other beach towns right yeah we I think next time, if we do make it out to Sri Lanka, we'll have to come down to, to some of the surf spots. We just finished up the Maldives, so we kind of neglected the, the beach areas. Uh, but I think I really like Sri Lanka. Even in January, it was still pretty chilled out. Like, I don't know when their, their busy season is, but it definitely didn't seem busy when we were there. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was here last year also for their, their kind of peak season, and, and January is their peak season. And in general, Sri Lanka is just not that touristy. Like it's very underrated. You know, very few people we know uh, have ever even heard of Sri Lanka, yet alone been here. You know, <laughs> especially compared to you know Bali or Thailand or like more popular places. And this is kind of what I like. I like finding underrated places that are actually great, like Tbilisi, Georgia, like Sri Lanka. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I, I thought Sri Lanka was very underrated, if it was even rated. It seems like a lot of people just haven't had a chance to rate it. Uh, but if you get a, if you get an opportunity to go there, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah. Have you been to India as, as well? No, it's I've been to Nepal, but I've been uh, kind of I've been avoiding India to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of understand that after visiting there, one of the big draws was we were invited to an Indian wedding, and we oh, kind of planned yeah. our whole trip trip around. Uh, you know, we extended our trip actually to make this Indian wedding. You know, to stay there for a few days, and we ended up traveling around uh and then the day before the indian wedding we got so sick and we we made it to the wedding for about like two or three hours and then we literally had to rush back to our hotel call a doctor um, to come into the hotel and they they were really friendly they were able to get us medicine but we literally got sick at the worst time possible and i think we kind of knew it we were very cautious but i think you just have to factor that into going to india uh you're going to probably have a few days that you might not be feeling well, even if you're doing all the best practices. We were very extremely careful with what we ate and washing our hands stuff. But just with a billion people, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of chances to to get sick. Yeah, and, and I'm assuming it was food poisoning. Uh, the doctors didn't really give us a diagnosis, but my girlfriend and I both had uh, some sort of issue, stomach issue. But she had she got different medicine than I got, so it was something different. So who knows? Mm. I, I think it was food related though. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about Sri Lanka is you would think it'd be very similar, you know, especially because people eat with their hands. It looks like, you know, very similar food is rice and curry. You know, they literally pan you food with their hands, you know, half the time if you order like a roti or something. I've never gotten sick here in, in eight months. I've never had any kind of stomach problems. And I don't think I, I don't know anyone who's gotten food poisoning or gotten sick. I, they're very hygienic here, which is surprising. Yeah, we, we, we were very impressed with, I don't know, just Sri Lanka in general. Like we had a, a really good sushi meal in Colombo and I don't know, the food was everywhere we had was, was really good, but yeah. I, the food was also good in India. It's just, I think a higher chance of getting sick. <laughs> yeah. Except that in Nepal, I got sick every week. Like I, I normally really? have a pretty strong stomach every week I got sick, like no matter what. Yeah. We, we literally were the next day, like a day or so after we'd been sick, we, we had these flights to Kathmandu and, uh, it was, it was a struggle getting on the plane, but luckily like Kathmandu was kind of a lot more chill than, than where we were at in India. So 
it was a good place to kind of get sick and just just kind of relax for a bit. Uh, unfortunately, it, we didn't get to see too much outside of out of the city, but we did get to go to Bhutan, which was uh, probably the one of the big highlights for me uh, on this kind of pre-COVID travel trip. Uh, so if you guys ever get a chance to go to Bhutan, it's it's an absolutely beautiful country. They've their, their airport is joined my one of my favorite airports now. Uh, it's probably number one on my list. Mm. It's just a peaceful place. You fly in and it's just completely empty. It's got all this really interesting like Bhutanese uh, designs in the airport. And then it, it just feels really relaxing. There's like nobody's really in a hurry because the tourism there, you have to pay a, a company for every day. It's like $250 uh, per person to, to actually be there because you have to have a private guide. Um, but just getting there, you get to fly fly past Everest and that flight alone is, is worth every penny. Yeah, I can imagine. So you've been to how many countries now? Uh, 86 countries. It was Very supposed nice. to hit 100 this year, but COVID had other plans. Yeah. So out of those kind of 86 countries and all these cities, what are some of the other top favorite airports that you've been to? And then what are some of the worst ones? Some of the worst. Uh, I would say the worst airport that I've been to ever uh, is in Bangladesh, in Dhaka. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've never seen anything like this in my life. We got in the airport and there's literally somebody's job to kill mosquitoes with one of those like tennis racket zapper things. Mm -hmm. And there's mosquitoes everywhere inside the airport. And even when we went to our hotel, we were staying at a, a five-star hotel, there's literally a guy in like a, a tuxedo. His job is just to kill mosquitoes like with this thing full-time. It's not just like a part-time thing. He's just sitting there eight hours a day, like killing these mosquitoes. I don't know where they come from, but, but they're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Well, at least they uh, had someone uh, as, as their job to do that. Yeah. As far as other favorite airports, I, I really like the Seoul airport. Uh, Seoul and Singapore, they, they both are, are up there on my list. Uh, what about yourself? So, yeah, I would say Seoul's fantastic. Uh, great place for a long layover. The travel hack is you can go down to the spa uh, on the basement and you pay, I think, like maybe 20 bucks or something. And you can use like their hot tub, their steam rooms which is great after a long flight and they have a nap room. <laughs> so you can just take, you know, oh, a yeah. four hour nap and then, and then just kind of be super refreshed by the time your, your flight comes. That's great. Yeah. So Singapore's yeah, I, fantastic. Singapore is, I, I, I think one of the most modernized airports. Yeah. It's, it's it won so many awards. Also. Um, but actually for smaller airports, my favorites are Koh uh, Samoy. Have, have you been there? Oh my God. It's funny you mentioned that. That's also on my list. I love how it's like the, it's kind of like an outdoor vibe. Uh, they did have a nice lounge there. I would say Costa Mui's up there as well on my list. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, you know, the reason they can do that is it's a private airport with just Bangkok Air. So flights to and from Samoy or, you know, three, four, five times the price of anywhere else in Thailand, <laughs> but it's kind of worth it. Yeah, it's definitely, I was, I was actually, you feel relaxed. Like you kind of have like, at least when I was there, it was nice weather, nice breeze coming throughout the airport. Uh, they had, you know, free food for everyone flying. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Costa Movie Airport. Yeah. So my least favorite ones, uh, pretty much most airports in the U.S., like JFK is terrible. Um, even like LAX oh, yeah. and SFO, I know they've done a lot of remodeling. So now it looks much nicer, but they're just still kind of like huge messes. And like they're just... They're too busy. They're too big. They're too disorganized. The TSA in America is, is 
so oh, yeah. like it's it sucks like it's the security there like it's it's unneeded and it's just a hassle like nobody's friendly nobody's smiling the nicest experience that i i have very often is flying to chiang mai <laughs> like i try to fly into chiang mai all the time because even though it's an international airport it's still relatively small so from the gate you know it takes you 10 minutes to baggage check while you're waiting for your bags you can get a sim card uh, you get your bag and then there's ATMs right there. There's like 20 ATMs and none of them have a line and they all work. And then you get a taxi that's a flat rate. So you don't even need to call an Uber because all the taxis are there waiting for you. And they're all a flat, you know, affordable rate for like, I don't remember the price now, but it was, you know, it was something like very, very reasonable, like six bucks or something. Yeah. Chiang Mai airport's really good. I would say out of the U S airports, the one that I probably have the, the most experience with is flying through Miami because I was based in Medellin pretty much to go anywhere. You'd have to get to, to MIA and it's not an amazing airport, but if you're able to like utilize credit card hacking, you'd have priority pass. So I'd get, I'd, I'd land, uh, go through global entry, uh, just walk right through all the, the customs. Then I'd go straight to the Corona lounge or the Corona restaurant to get like a $30 free meal with uh, priority pass. And then I'd go to Centurion lounge to get a massage. Uh, get some coffee and kind of work and relax and just hop on my my next flight or whenever it was in the layover. So I think if one of the good things about the U.S. is they do have a lot of decent lounges, but overseas though they with Priority Pass and with some of the other lounge passes, they have access to a lot of really high high quality lounges and stuff. Yeah, definitely, especially yeah, I pretty much it all around Asia. And I remember in um, I think it was somewhere in India, I had a layover. I'd probably going from Sri Lanka. I remember having kind of the buffet, you know, buffet style Indian food, and it was fantastic. <laughs> and I think I had yeah. like you know, I like my last flight before that was LAX and then like Barcelona or something. Both places, or somewhere somewhere in Europe, and both places had you know that that packaged food where it's you know, let's say you get a salad or a sandwich or something, or it might even be something fancy looking like some kind of, you know, like right. shrimp, shrimp quiche or something, but it's clearly made four days ago and they put it, you know, in plastic and then put it in the, Ugh. you know, <laughs> like in the fridge and everything looks nice, but nothing really tastes like food, you know, and they're right. just kind of there yeah, to, to, to satisfy people. Yeah. And in India, I remember the airport being like, wow, this is like a nice, you know, uh, tasting, like it definitely wasn't luxurious, but it was a really nice tasting Indian buffet with like spices and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's airport food can always be hit or miss. Uh, luckily the same with even the lounges, even some of the, the nice lounges you would expect, they have nice seating, but they don't have food. So there's a lot of different things they have to do correctly to like have good Wi-Fi, have good food and drinks and just be kind of quiet and relaxing. Yeah, definitely. But by far the worst experience I've had in, in any airport was in Egypt. I had a five oh, or six hour dude. layover there. Have you been there? Cairo? Yeah. Yeah, the Cairo. Cairo. Oh my God. What happened? So, I mean, even like just getting off the plane and I had to go through, I didn't even, you know, now I think about it, I don't even know why I had to go through security because I was getting off the plane, but they kind of diverted me into like a separate security line and they, they robbed me. They basically started stealing things out of my bag. And then while the other guy was trying to get a bribe from me, he was like, no, I'm not gonna let you to the airport if you don't give me, if you don't give me money. And I was like, what is happening? I'm inside an airport. I do not get, you know, like I, I did not expect to get, to get shaken down like this. 
Yeah, it's, it's a strange place and it's notorious online. Like they, I think we even use this service when we went there, like an expedited service where somebody comes and meets you and uh, they kind of help you through the whole process because uh, they, people can get robbed and like they're, the whole situation you have to, if you are going into Cairo, you have to like give them money for your, your visa and then kind of give them your passport. And the whole process is not really like clear once you, unless you've done it before. So I, I do think there are some good options to kind of like pay a, pay a company to come meet you and handle all of that stuff and expedite, expedite you. Even yeah. in Saigon, they have something similar where you just hand somebody your passport and they, they speed up the process for you. Yeah. And if it was just that, I would have been okay. But like, like I physically was like scared. Like I, I don't think I've ever been to this, this process before where, you know, like you have the security at an airport pulling you aside and demanding money, like, or they won't let you onto your next flight, you know? And wow. while that guy was doing that and trying to get money from me, I had no idea, but some, the other guy was going through my bags and stealing things out of, out of my bag, which unfortunately I, did, I didn't know about until later or so. Like really probably the worst experience I've had and makes me like really hate Egypt and, and just not want to go there now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I, I loved, uh, we, we only uh, stayed a few days in Cairo, but I would say I had a similar experience with, with Cairo, uh, didn't love it. And those people at the airport, they can, they can truly make your life miserable. Uh, if they want to, if they're having a bad day, or if they just for some reason don't like you. And it, it's kind of hard in your situation to know how to react. Because if you react to overboard, you could end up spending the night uh, in their custody, getting slapped with big fines. I remember uh, when I was traveling through the Philippines, one of the big scams there was they would put a bullet in your bag or in your backpack. Um, mm. you're entering the airport and the alarm would go off and they'd be like, why do you have this bullet? And then they would just slap you with these crazy fines. And if you're like, of course, that's not my bullet. Uh, then you would, if you, no, no matter what you did, you would either get this fine or you'd have to argue with them and potentially they would just hold you for, for a while. So, uh, flying through the Manila airport is another experience that I, I didn't enjoy. Luckily I didn't have that happen to me, but it was one of those airports where, you were you go to to get in through security and it's like a two three hour wait just for no reason uh, it's just really inefficient yeah and not a great wonder, place to, to yeah. fly through and it's funny and people wonder why philippines isn't more of a tourist, tourist destination and it's because of things like this that they kind of just overlook and people just accept and say oh well you know these guys are rich tourists that they can they can handle it it's not a big deal definitely yeah i, I think there's there's a lot of these airports that i, I think the they just don't have the incentives right or they haven't figured out like, hey, this is a first impression we're making on millions of people. Uh, we need to try and do it right. And I feel like the Singapore's and, the, uh, and Seoul, like they do it very well, uh, but they, they probably just have more wealth to, to invest in that is the, the main reason. Yeah, I mean, that could be it. But at the same time, a lot of it is just kind of common courtesy. And, you know, because I've been to poor countries where you know, people are very friendly and nobody's going to rob you or, you know, steal from you. They, you know, they're just, they're, they're genuinely happy that you're there. Right. And I would say that's, that's another great point for, for Tbilisi. They, they do have a, it feels like a very safe place, especially after living in Medellin. Fortunately, we didn't have any issues for the, the two years, two and a half years we were there. But it became one of those things where every one of your friends had some sort of some sort of bad experience in, in Medellin with safety. And luckily here in, in Tbilisi in Georgia, they, they've got really, it's just a safe country. Uh, and we haven't had anything bad happen and haven't really heard many, many things happen to, to friends. Did you have any bad experiences with safety while you're here in, in Georgia? 
No, zero safety concerns. I actually remember contacting my Airbnb host and saying, hey, I can't get this window to lock. And I lived on a, the first floor, you know, right on the street. So it was anybody could have just, you know, just jumped in. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll come by tomorrow. And I said, well, you know, I got to go out, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to leave the, the apartment unlocked. And he's like, oh, you're in Tbilisi. Don't worry about it. No, nobody's going to break in. And he meant it. And like n- no crime has happened in, from what I've heard of since I've been there or to anyone I know. Yeah, they, they do rank uh, safer than Switzerland in some like uh, safety metrics. So there is definitely something to it. I think it's just a, a very safe country. I would say the, the only danger that I could see here is maybe the, the way people drive. They, they do drive a little crazy. <laughs> but other than that, I, I think it's a pretty safe country. Yeah, and, and you know, relatively crazy because it's, it's way, way worse in, in countries like Sri Lanka or India. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you've ever been to Bali, I think that's probably the the craziest motorbike experience after, especially after like riding around motorbikes in Chiang Mai. And then I, I went to Bali and I was like, this is night and day uh, yeah. as far as like, I felt very uncomfortable riding a scooter around in Bali. I mean, pretty, I mean, and you should have because pretty much everyone that you know, like knows somebody firsthand who has gone into like a really bad wreck. You know, you like. I'm sure everyone's seen this GoFundMe's for pretty much every single month of some tourist in Bali, you know, getting hit by, um, you know, by a car or something, and you know, needing money to to pay for the hospital bills. Right. Yeah. It's it's just not. I don't know. It's just kind of like chaos, I guess. But at least in Chiang Mai, it's like organized a lot more organized chaos, I guess. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think the the big difference is you know like Thai people, especially in Chiang Mai, like they value your life where right? they're, they're never going to do anything to hurt, you know, to hurt you in Bali. I think they just, they really don't care about tourists. There's so many and they kind of just see them as dollar signs. So they're just like, yeah, you know, whatever, just it's another tourist. There's millions more that'll come from Instagram. Right. So where do you think you'll be, be heading to next after Sri Lanka? Are you going to be uh, heading over to Georgia or what's your, your plans for the foreseeable? Yeah. So I think we're going to stay the winter just because there's no, I, you know, I don't really like the cold. Uh, and because Sri Lanka is closed to tourists, you know, we're able to get really good deals on, on, on living and accommodation, but also just, you know, like the surf sites are, are empty and there's, it's just a nice place to be, you know, yet there's enough, there's enough freedom and enough people to, you know, not get bored. Um, but I think as soon as spring starts, uh, it's going to be over a year for me. So I'm, I'm definitely going to go somewhere. I think I'll go to Ukraine first. Uh, especially because my my girlfriend uh, that I met here actually is Ukrainian, so she wants to see her family. And I think we're gonna head to Georgia after that, and just in time for next summer, and hopefully the 2021 Nomad Summit, as long as travel's actually open by then. Awesome, yeah, that seems like a great plan. Uh, you, would you go to Kiev or or somewhere else in in Ukraine? Yeah, so we would fly to Kiev, you know, most likely, and, and spend a few days. But she's actually from Kharkiv, which is the the second city. Oh, very cool. Have you been to Ukraine before? Yeah, I, I've actually been a, a few times. Uh, and it's funny, my, my Facebook profile still says I work in, in Kharkiv or I live in Kharkiv just because I'd never bothered changing it you know, after a few years. That's awesome. I think, I think Ukraine and especially Kiev, and there's probably a lot of other great cities in, in Ukraine is another one of those locations that's a little bit more off the beaten path. And uh, it's a really nice place. Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, like Georgia is... A little bit easier, definitely cheaper and easier to find accommodation, and the visa is much better. But Ukraine has a lot of the same, you know, benefits. Uh, very unique culture. Most things are very cheap. You know, good infrastructure, easy to get around, and it's just off the beaten path, as as you said. Right. 
Yeah, I would say one of the, the cool things that I was able to do in Kiev was go to Chernobyl. And I know the, the HBO series got really big this year and I was able to dig out some of my photos with a, you know, just messing around some of the abandoned ruins in Chernobyl. It was, it was a really interesting place. So if you, if you guys do get a chance, it's, it's definitely worth visiting if, if that's something that's not uh, outside of your comfort level. Yeah, and definitely. And definitely watch the HBO uh, Chernobyl uh, series first because it, it, it'll hype you up for it. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a great series. Yeah. So uh, another shout out for our series is Queen's Gambit. Have you watched that? Yeah, we just, we just watched it uh, a few weeks ago, and it's, it's got me wanting to play some chess. I just bought a board yesterday, so I'm excited. That's great. Yeah, we're going to have to order one uh, and get a chess board here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure in Georgia there's plenty. <laughs> but so what, do you, what have you actually been up to work-wise? So I've been putting a big uh, effort into making YouTube. So I make uh, two YouTube videos every week about entrepreneurship, travel, uh, and remote work, working and location independence. Uh, my primary two focuses right now are uh, we have a travel hacking masterclass. So if you're looking to learn about travel hacking, how, to, how I've been kind of earning more than $150,000 over the past 10 years in free travel. So we help people with that. And then if you're looking to get into online or remote working, we have kind of a career advancement service where we help people uh, kind of revamp their resume we schedule uh, a mock interviews. We help people find uh, remote jobs that fit their resume. And then we, we kind of just help them with the whole process. It's kind of a, a done with you service that, you know, if you already, if you're going to have to go back into the office next year and you're dreading that and want to find a job that's going to allow you flexibility to work from anywhere, um, then you can get in touch with us and we have a service for that. That's the primary focus, uh, those two two main offerings. I love it. And if they want to get information about it or follow you on YouTube, how do they find you? Yeah. So if you just search Mike Swigunski on YouTube, uh, or you just go to globalcareerbook.com, that's the best place to get in touch with me. We have a free remote job board uh, that is mostly non-technical remote jobs. So non you know, sales, marketing, anything that's like not developing, doesn't require coding. We have those types of jobs on our remote job site, uh, but you can find the links for, for the YouTube channel, for my Instagram. Uh, and all of that information at globalcareerbook.com. Okay, cool. I'll make sure to put both of those in the show notes. So guys, uh, if you want to follow both of us on YouTube, uh, do a search for Mike Sugonski and also for Johnny FD. Subscribe to both channels and check them out. And Mike, hopefully you'll still be in Georgia next summer. Uh, we, had, we had you scheduled as a speaker, the Nomad Summit. So hopefully that will happen again because we would love to have you. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be here, man. I'm looking forward to, to finally meeting in person and uh, hopefully speaking at the Nomad Summit. We've got plans for our, our apartment to be here until November 2021. So we've got no real solid plans to leave anytime soon. Uh, as soon as borders open, though, we're going to be we're itching to get a, on an international trip somewhere. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Very cool. Guys, uh, great having you listen in on this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend. You know, take a screenshot, post them on, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you hang out, and leave a review on iTunes. If you give us five stars, it helps more people find the show. So, Mike, great talking to you, and I'll see all of you guys next week. Thanks so much for having me on, Johnny. I really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, How to Choose the Perfect Niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.